Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. There are new developments in the criminal cases and investigations into former President Donald Trump. In New York, Trump is seeking to move the hush money criminal case from state court to federal court. Meanwhile, DOJ is reportedly gathering evidence about Trump's alleged efforts to obstruct the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. In other news, a D.C. jury convicted former Proud Boys leader Enrique Tarrio and three other members of the extremist group of seditious conspiracy for their roles in January 6. And Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is facing renewed scrutiny for failing to disclose that billionaire GOP donor Harlan Crow paid Thomas's grandnephew's school tuition. Preet and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So first, let's talk about the pending Trump indictment in the county of New York, that's Manhattan. And I thought we'd take a step back and just talk about something that the judge himself addressed. And that is this principle that we talk about all the time that comes under some stress. The principle being no one is above the law and everyone should be held to the same standard. And I was struck by the fact that at one of the proceedings recently, the judge says to Trump's lawyers, you know, should the former president be held to a different standard than all of the other defendants who come to this courtroom. And then according to the New York Times, a minute later, the judge seemed to answer his own question, quote, obviously Mr. Trump is different. And he goes on to say, it would be foolish of me to say he's not. Among other things, he's different because he has a secret service detail, which he'll have for life. He's running for president. That accords him arguably some deference in what he can and cannot say. What do you, what do you make of this idea generally, and then we'll get specific, about the president being different, the former president being different. You know, it's so interesting to me that you focused on this because I've focused on the same thing, too, in in everything that's going on in New York. And I've been thinking a lot about this, and I've concluded that it's possible that both things are true, right? That Trump is different. He's a former president. He's a current candidate. But at the same time, the principle that everyone has to be treated equally when they come to court— has to be applied to him, acknowledging his situation. And while there's tension in those two different notions, I think it ultimately is possible. We have seen courts do this with other people, maybe not with former presidents, but with governors, with senators, with wealthy or famous people. This is one of the challenges that our legal system has to face. And, and, you know, it's not necessarily easy. That doesn't mean it's not important to get it right. So let's talk about the most significant legal development in the Manhattan DA's case. The president's lawyers have made a motion, and I think you and I have mentioned this in passing. Our friend and colleague, Ellie Honig, has talked about this a bit. And that is a very obscure procedure by which, under certain circumstances, limited circumstances, which at least I don't think are present here, a person can remove, in other words, move, but we call it remove, (laughs) A state court criminal case, like the one that's pending against Donald Trump, to federal court. The federal court, if the motion were to be granted, would apply state law. Um, The law wouldn't be different. It would be a different judge. But 
first, before I get to what I think is a screaming irony about the motion, what are the reasons why Donald Trump and his team would think it's better to be in federal court than in state court if it's the case that all the same laws apply? You just have a federal judge who's less steeped in state law deciding the questions and the matters and everything else. Why? I'm, I'm trying to f- figure out why they think necessarily it's so much better for them. You're not suggesting that there's a little bit of judge shopping going on here, are you? Yeah, but you don't you don't know what judge you're going to get. And maybe they don't like this judge, but I don't know. You know, the, the judge behind door number two is definitely going to be better. You know, they liked the last judge that they got in, in federal court when Alvin Bragg filed his lawsuit against them. I'm sure that they hope that they can claim that this is a related case and go back to her. Although I don't think that that works. My understanding in New York is that that, that doesn't work when you have a civil proceeding, which is what Alvin Bragg previously brought over the Mark Pomerantz subpoena issue, and a criminal case like this one. But I think at this point, they figure anything would be better than Judge Mershon. You know, they've seen that Judge Mershon is committed to being fair, which is to say not a judge that the Trump team wants. But it is, as you say, an interesting situation. This sort of removal procedure happens most often I think we've discussed this before, when you have federal agents or people involved in law enforcement who get charged criminally in state court and they want to remove their case to federal court so that they can assert a qualified immunity defense, Trump's situation just is not that. Can I get to the screaming irony? Please. And then we can break down the statute for folks because it's sort of interesting. First of all, can I say at the outset, in my experience... I have never seen, and my experience is not, you know, universal, but it's extensive. I have not seen or overseen a case that was removed to federal court from state court. Did you ever see that personally? You know, I didn't. And when this first came up months ago, I was I was just really surprised. I had to go read <laughs> like, up on it. What is that statute again? <laughs> Here's the great thing, though. Here's what I found. There's actually a case in, oh, the irony, the Northern District of Georgia, where Fulton County sits, where there actually are some federal agents who are in the middle of a case that they have removed to federal court. And that was my first encounter with this issue. So can we get to the screaming irony? I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep previewing the, the screaming irony. And this is what struck me, and I, I wonder what you think about it. One of the arguments that people were making, and the opposite of that argument was made by the adversaries on the other side, in the whole run-up to whether or not Alvin Bragg was going to charge Donald Trump, was, is this a serious enough crime? Was this serious conduct, right? And the defenders of Trump, in their rhetoric, would say things like, well, it's not that serious. It wasn't related to the presidency. It was a private matter. It was before he became president, minimizing, minimizing, minimizing its connection to the presidency. On the other side, the Alvin Bragg proponents, and I was one of these people who at least made the argument that, you know, this is a more serious crime than you think, because among other things, the obscuring of the payments, the cover-up, the reimbursements to Michael Cohen occurred for months and months into the first term, or I guess the only term, of Donald Trump's presidency. So it is kind of serious because it did involve the presidency, right? So those were the arguments that people were making about the relative seriousness of this potential criminal case against Donald Trump, right? Here comes the irony. (laughs) One of the bases on which you can use this obscure statute to remove a criminal case from state court to federal court is showing a connection between the office that the person used to hold 
and the crime itself, right? So Mr. Trump's lawyers are arguing in this motion that Mr. Cohen was reimbursed over the course of many months in 2017. Never before has a local elected prosecutor criminally prosecuted a defendant, either for conduct that occurred entirely while the defendant was a sitting president of the United States. So for purposes of this motion, they're sort of emphasizing the direct nexus and connection to the office of the presidency, to Donald Trump being in the Oval Office and making these payments. And legal experts on the other side, who don't think that the motion should be granted, are saying things like, well, just because he's accused of committing a crime while in the White House doesn't mean the crime was related to the presidency. I think you've said something along those lines. Do you, do you note some irony there? Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, though, a case of Trump wanting to have his cake and eat it too, right? There is irony, but there's a difference between doing something while you're the president and doing it under color of law, right? I mean, sort of an easy example is this. If you're a federal agent and you're sitting in your vehicle, your official vehicle, and you attack somebody in the vehicle, you're acting under color of law. You're going to be prosecuted for that by someone. If you are sitting in your police car, your agency car, and you write a bad check, are you acting under color of law? Probably not, right? You're doing something in your personal capacity. You happen to be just sort of sitting in your vehicle. So I think George Conway said this best. George said, even if Trump was sitting at the resolute desk when he wrote those checks, right, it still isn't something he did as part of his official duties as president. But you're right. There's irony, I acknowledge. Let's now go to the videotape, or as we say, go to the statute that is seldom invoked. And it's, it's, there were a couple of statutes, but one of them is 28 U.S. Code Section 1442 that relates to federal officers or agencies sued or prosecuted. And as you point out, you can engage in this removal process in connection with something relating to any act under color of such office or on account of any right, title, or authority claimed under any act of Congress for the apprehension or punishment of criminals or the collection of the revenue. And so the only hook that Trump has to remove is this idea that he was doing this under color of his office, which, you know, perpetuating the irony is they're actually ratcheting up the seriousness of the country. You know, they're arguing that it was in fact directly related to the presidency which kind of gives grist, whether you believe it as a legal technical matter or not, or credit it, does give grist to critics who say, well, this was a serious thing. Fair? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's sort of a crazy situation, which is, I mean, Trump is is very good at doing this, right? Of having two conflicting narratives. And you can actually do that as a defendant in a criminal case. You can, you know, you are free to argue I didn't do it, but if I did, I shouldn't be responsible because of X. The problem that you have is the obvious one. Juries don't really love that. He does have some other arguments that are a little bit better. As I understand it, one of the bases on which you can say federal court is better than state court is if you're going to raise some defenses that are federal in nature. And one of the defenses that the lawyers for Trump have indicated they will raise is preemption that to the extent that the step-up statute relates to campaign finance law, the federal campaign finance laws trump and preempt. And so that's the reason why this belongs in federal court. That's not a crazy argument, right? It's not. Actually, this, I think, is a nuanced argument that the court will have to consider seriously. I don't think it works for Trump, 
but I do think that it's a, a close call. Preemption is a little bit of an unusual situation to have arise in a case like this, but essentially it means you know that under the Constitution, federal law is supreme, and so federal law preempts the laws of a state. And in areas where preemption applies, states can't pass laws that conflict with federal laws. So the argument that Trump will make here is that because this New York prosecution is hinged on the notion that he engaged in wrongdoing in connection with election law, that the state law, in essence, can't operate. And there are a couple of problems with that, one of which is that there are courts that have very narrowly construed the scope of federal preemption in this area, and it would not reach something like a New York business record statute. I think that helps us understand why this indictment that Bragg brought is so very narrow. Remember when it first came down, people were like, "Uh, what's wrong with this? It's only about, you know, this very limited business record exemption. Well, that was Bragg trying to avoid running into the preemption problem. Ultimately, I think it's a loser for Trump. But the fact that that I think that doesn't mean that the courts won't and, and shouldn't very carefully consider all of the arguments on both sides in evaluating it. Here's another defense, which I don't know if it's been articulated before. And I don't know that it's quite properly characterized as a federal defense. But I thought this was interesting and also not crazy and could confuse the jury. You know, on the issue of the falsification of business records, the thrust of the accusation is these payments made to Michael Cohen were characterized as a legal retainer or legal payments, but they were in fact. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>